0: Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 12 again. We've been here for several weeks. And I, every time I come to this, the opening of a new service, I debate with myself whether or not I should go back and read the thing in its totality, the entire chapter of Revelation 12, in other words. And I just can't get away from it. There are so many people, too many people in the body of Christ today, the modern day church, that doesn't really understand what's going on. And if you don't understand what's going on, you become an easy target for fear. And there's a lot of fear out there. So Revelation chapter 12 beginning in verse 1 it tells us the story of Israel and the devil's war against the people of God it's not talking just exclusively about Israel at least not the whole thing because it includes those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives so in that sense Israel is a representative of the people of God Revelation 12 verse 1 and there appeared a great wonder in heaven a woman clothed with the sun And the moon under her feet And upon her head a crown of twelve stars And she being with child cried Travailing in birth And pained to be delivered And there appeared another wonder in heaven And behold a great red dragon Having seven heads and ten horns And seven crowns upon his heads And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven And did cast them to the earth And the dragon stood before the woman Which was ready to be delivered to deliver her child devour her child Excuse me, as soon as it was born and she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared uh, of God that they should feed her a thousand two hundred and three score days that's three and a half years Is talking about events taking place during the tribulation as well and there was war in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not neither was their place found anymore in heaven and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world and he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God the power and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So you can see it's not just talking about the nation of Israel. It's talking about the church here as well. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Folks, the devil's keeping an eye on the clock. (laughs) He knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years again from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth out of his mouth as water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, it's a reference to the church and not just the nation of Israel. Now we want to go to Matthew chapter 24 beginning in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, he's obviously talked to them about his coming. If he hadn't, they wouldn't have any questions about it. He's also taught them somewhat about the end of the world, because if they didn't know something from Jesus about that, they wouldn't ask questions about that either. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Folks, I believe one of the greatest things that the church needs to guard against is deception. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must yet come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation shall rise against nation. This word nation is the word ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic or any form of, of the word ethnic. In other words, he's talking about race riots or race, uh, races fighting against each other. For a nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The word kingdom here means uh, countries. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. I want you to notice the condition of the church is a big part of recognizing the signs of the times. Here where it says it will be preached as a witness or with a witness unto all nations. He's talking about with power. He's talking about the healing power of God. The miracle working power of God. He's talking about the condition of the church. In Ephesians Paul said by the Holy Ghost that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. Well, what's a glorious church? It's a church that manifests the power and the glory of God. Now, folks, Revelation chapter 12 tells us with some degree of specificity about the war against the people of God that Satan is engaged in. We are in a war. He wants to fight against the church. He wants to fight against the people of God. Remember in the parable that Jesus told his disciples about the sower sowing the word. He mentioned five things that the devil uses to choke the word from being fruitful in people's lives. Affliction, persecution, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things, and the cares of this world. So as far as the war is concerned, from the devil's standpoint, he stirs up trouble and distractions. Now, folks, that's all he's got. That's the extent of his power. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the workings of the devil. That word wiles means the road that is traveled or to travel over. And we know that the work of the enemy, the only work of the enemy, the only thing he has to work with is deception. Now I want you to consider something for a minute. When Jesus answers the disciples... Their question concerning the signs of the times, when he's coming back, the end of the world, and so forth. Jesus basically told them about events, he told them about certain things that would happen. Can you imagine the church? Can you imagine being alive at the time where? the temple that Jesus said would be destroyed and not one stone left upon another. We know that happened in 70 A.D. Now Peter and Paul and most of the other apostles had already been killed or died before that time. Historical documents and as well as the letters that Paul wrote to us identify that Paul died somewhere around 66 or 68 A.D. Peter was about the same time. Now, there were some others of the apostles that outlived Peter and John as far as the year is concerned. And so there were some certain ones of the apostles that saw the destruction of the temple that were alive when these things took place. Now, if you were one of the apostles... If you were somebody that was close enough, followed closely enough after Jesus, to know that Jesus predicted that temple being destroyed in just the same manner that it was. History tells us that when Herod built the temple that Jesus was talking about, he did everything he could to to make it the most beautiful place that you could imagine, the most beautiful building ever built. Jesus wasn't in, impressed with that, though, because of the purpose for which it was built. Herod's doing it as a political move, trying to make friends and curry favor with the Jews so they wouldn't rebel against him while he exercises rule and dominion over them. Uh, that had mixed results. The Jews were always a thorn in the side of the Romans. But one of the things that Herod did, according to history, is that he took gold and ground it into powder and sprinkled that gold dust in with the mortar that was between the stones of the blocks of the temple so that when Rome came and destroyed the temple once and for all every stone was taken apart or taken off from the others so that they could get to the gold dust that was a part of the mortar mix Now think about how detailed Jesus' response was. He didn't just say this temple shall be destroyed. He told the manner in which it was destroyed, which was quite unusual for the day. We see the revelation of God coming to the disciples through what Jesus told them. Now if you knew that the destruction of the temple was one of the signs that Jesus talked about at the end. Can you imagine the condition of the church at 70 AD? They just see the temple destroyed like Jesus said. Who wouldn't be expecting him to come by the end of the week? Can you imagine the readiness, at least in attitude, That the church would have witnessing those very things that Jesus predicted. Folks, almost from the beginning of the church, the people of God had been looking for Jesus to come and return. I'm sure there was a lot of disappointment as one year passed to the next because the further and further they got away from what they thought was the sign and who wouldn't have thought that was the sign but it's happened so often hope deferred makes the heart sick so much so that many in the body of Christ began to give up hope. I look at John. We know a little bit more about John than we do many of the other apostles. John lived to be about 100. And he died around 100 A.D., some 30 years after the destruction of the temple. And you may remember in the last chapter of John's gospel... Jesus is talking to Peter, and he challenges him to follow him and feed his sheep, and Peter turned out to be the first one of the leaders of the church, at least until Acts 15 comes along and James, the half-brother of Jesus, is in the position of the leader, uh, the head pastor of the church at Jerusalem. You may remember that Jesus told Peter that when he was old, people would bind him and take him to places he didn't want to go. We know that was fulfilled when he was made a prisoner and then martyred for the name of Jesus. Peter was crucified just as Jesus was, but when he found out that was the way that he would die, he requested of the Roman authorities that he would be crucified upside down, which he was. But at that setting, in John 21, the last chapter of the book of John, Peter responds to Jesus by looking at John and saying, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus responds to Peter what is that to you if i want him to live until i return how does that affect what i'm giving you to do which of course it didn't but john makes the point of saying it from that point forward there went out a saying among the church that john would live until jesus returned john at the end of his life when the gospel that bears his name was written pointed out Jesus didn't really say that he would live until he returned, that John would live until Jesus returned, but that was how people interpreted it. Now Paul refers to the end time events in different ways. Look with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it is. is. Second Timothy chapter 3, forgive me. having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lust ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth now everything that he speaks about there is behavioral not events so when Jesus answered the disciples question he talked about things that would happen Paul, by the Holy Ghost, speaks of the way that people will be. Even there where he says ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That takes in the intellectual elite that we hear so much from today. Now, I asked a question last Sunday morning, really didn't intend to, really hadn't thought about it prior to that point but when it says that the devil increases his efforts knowing that his time is short the only thing he has the only tool that he has really is deception and so I asked the question if he increases his efforts what does that mean does that mean he's going to lie more does that mean he's going to tell bigger lies and that was the question that I posed and as i said i really hadn't thought about it but i wound up doing a lot of thinking about it this year, this last week one of the things that seems to be different to me in the day that we live in than it was even 10 or 20 years ago is that we have institutions that are lying to us now now everybody knows what the devil's plan is his plan is no secret One world government is what he's after. And that's the whole purpose for the Antichrist and the way that the Antichrist will be raised up. It won't be an entire domination of the world, but at least that part of the world that, uh, that we know of as Europe and the Middle East and part of Asia, he will be ruler over that part of the world. So we know what the devil's plan is. His plan is to deceive the world so that he can control them. That's all he's ever been after. He wants to deceive you about the healing power of God so that he can dominate you with sickness. He wants to deceive you about God's willingness to take care of you and provide for you so he can dominate you through poverty and fear. He wants to deceive you about the truth concerning the peace of God and what's been left to us so that he can get you living under a spirit of fear. You, do you remember in John chapter 10... Jesus talks about the difference between his entry into the world and Satan's entry into the world. He talks about his birth, being born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, as legitimizing his ability to operate on the earth and, and execute judgment here. You remember in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, an exact duplicate in kind, in other words, and let him have dominion over the works of our hands. Now, who is it that's supposed to have dominion over the earth? Well, according to God, man was. Now, there are some that would believe that the devil has authority here on the earth, and there's no question he does have a certain degree or measure of authority. But was the devil, uh, when the devil deceived Adam and Eve or deceived Eve, the Bible says Adam wasn't deceived, he seems to have made a conscious choice for her rather than God. Many people believe that at the point that Adam and Eve sinned against God and fell, that the authority of the earth was delivered unto Satan. And 2 Corinthians 4 4 does say Satan is the God of this world. But the word that's used for world there in the English translation from the original Greek literally means period of time. Satan is not the God of this earth, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Satan is not the God of this world system, he doesn't rule over the law of physics. he's simply the God of this time and he knows his time is running out now Jesus concludes by giving a contrast between himself and the devil in John chapter 10 and verse 10 he said the thief comes not but for to kill to steal and to destroy but I am come that you might have life So, folks, anything that kills is of the devil. Anything that steals is of the devil. Anything that destroys is of the devil. Now, here's a question I have for you. Can we say, since we know the devil's agenda, since Jesus laid it out for us, killing, stealing, and destroying, can we say that anybody that supports anything that's killing, stealing, or destroying is working of the devil? who would they be working for otherwise? We know the devil influences governments. It's one of the things he tempted Jesus with in Matthew chapter 4. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I'll give you these kingdoms and the glory thereof if you'll just fall down and worship me. He goes on to say, for that is delivered unto me. Well, we do see, therefore, that a certain degree of authority, a certain degree of power was given to the devil through the deception of Adam and Eve, or through the fall of Adam and Eve, I should say. But we know that he doesn't have complete authority there. We know that he's not in charge of of either the world or the world's kingdoms in its ultimate degree. See if the devil wants to wage war against man and if he had the power and the authority on the earth to treat the earth any way that he wanted to or use the earth any way that he wanted to then why wouldn't he just kill everybody in one swipe? Why wouldn't he just destroy everything in a moment of time? If the devil can control earthquakes for example why didn't he have them taking place all the time and in such a destructive manner as the earth would be destroyed. If the devil's in charge of sickness and disease to its ultimate measure, and he is to a certain degree, we know, but if he was able to make anybody sick anytime he wanted to, then why would he make everybody sick in, uh, with something incurable and just wipe out the earth in one fell swoop? Is he giving you just one more day before he really does his thing? Folks, the devil has limited ability because man is the one that has authority. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Now, if the devil is going to war against the people of God, he would have to exercise war in the two things, the two institutions that God has created. And there's only two th- institutions that God has created. One is the family and the other is the church. Now many of the things that we see taking place today are taking place not because the devil has so much power and so much control but he certainly has influenced people to a great degree and brought great destruction on the the world. In his attack against the family, one of the greatest things that has taken place to harm the family is the governmental control to create a welfare state. That has particularly hit the black community hardest, harder than anybody. And that's the way it was designed by the people that passed the laws when they were passed as a result many black fathers became absentees and it had devastating consequences on the black community let me give you a few statistics here children in broken homes are five times more likely to commit suicide they're six times more likely to be in poverty they're nine times more likely to drop out of high school, 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances, 14 times more likely to commit rape, 20 times more likely to end up in prison, 32 times more likely to run away from home. Now, a lot of the things and a lot of the inequalities that exist to this day in the world that we live are due to the breakdown of the family. Paul told Timothy that in meekness, in other words, teachable, not acting like I know it all, but in meekness, part of the work of the church part of the work that he commanded Timothy to do was to instruct those that oppose themselves. We've got a lot of people in and out of the body of Christ that are operating in ways that are not in their own best interest. We've got a a lot of the church, the modern-day church church, that supports things that are robbing them from God's best. Now, folks, we've got a lot of things that are taking place in the world around us. And I believe that it's the ideal time for the wisdom of God to become the ultimate aim of the church. Because without the wisdom of God, the ability to see, truly see what's going on around us and the spiritual impact thereof, then people that Jesus died for, people that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives, are by their own actions and their own beliefs forfeiting the very things that Jesus died for them to have in 2009 we had what was called the swine flu it's designated as H1N1 But during the first half, and you may remember in 2008, Barack Obama was elected president. He took office in January of 2009. And really between less than three months later, this swine flu thing came upon the the world. Now, to, to give you a little bit of context, there were 60 million people in America that contracted the swine flu. To compare that to what we're dealing with now. With COVID-19. <coughs> the number of cases of COVID-19. Are 3,500,000. But the swine flu. Infected 60 million Americans. I don't remember them closing down the economy. For the swine flu. I don't remember them trying to. Shelter at home, or mandate that the people of America wear masks. <clears throat> it became a a drag on the Obama presidency, but they had a fix for it. The Obama administration instructed the Center for Disease Control, the CDC to stop counting cases they did they complied with the order and as a result there's no more reporting because there's nothing to report the numbers stopped changing because the counting stopped contrast that with what we see today I was intrigued. You remember several months ago, there were daily news briefings on the COVID-19 thing and there was the Dr. Fauci and then the scarf lady. (laughs) I think her name is Burks or Bricks. I'm not sure. She made a statement that I found astounding. She said in one of these daily briefings, that she didn't trust the CDC numbers. At the time that she said it, there were 60,000 deaths in America blamed on the COVID-19. She said that number was probably closer to 30,000. She just said last, well, two weeks ago, I guess it was now, she said again that she didn't trust the the CDC numbers. At that time, there were about 125,000 deaths attributed to COVID-19. And she said that, that figure, that number, was probably inflated by about 25%. Since that time, We found, I say we found, the few journalists that still investigate things have determined that there's a lot of bogus counting in the CDC and it's organized. For example, I saw one report that said that in the states of Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee and Texas, those states were counting anybody that tested positive for the antibodies as a new case. Now, folks, if you've got the antibodies in your body for the COVID-19, it's because you did contract a disease and your body built up an immunity to it. But they were taking the antidote I mean, the, the antibody count and adding it to the new cases. Well, everybody knows that skews the numbers. Everybody in the medical field recognizes that, that skewed the numbers. Furthermore, there were what uh, I think it was a Fox News station in Orlando, Florida that started doing some investigative reporting. And they found, in many states, where they were doing the testing, people would come and register for the testing, but then the lines were so long that they didn't wind up staying to be tested. But they would get callbacks from the health officials, state health officials, saying that they tested positive. We've got a friend in Iowa that had that very thing happen to her as well. She signed up to be tested, but the line was so long and it took so long to, to move forward, she just gave up and went home. Later on that evening, she got a test, or got a call, a phone call from the health officials saying that she did indeed test positive for, for the corona 19. Now, folks, this is happening in state after state after state. This is not an isolated incident. In addition, this Fox 35 in Orlando found that there were, this is the word that they used in their report, countless laboratories that were turning in numbers of 100% positive, meaning nobody that they came in contact with were reported to not have the COVID-19 virus. Folks, that's, that's just physically impossible now here's my question if things are as bad as they're being reported to us that they are why do they have to lie about the numbers does not the, the very fact that, that they are lying to us and reporting false information does not, that not in and of itself Prove that it's not what they say that it is? So what's the answer? Well, for many states, it's for you to stay home, learn to homeschool your kids, for goodness sakes, don't go to church and sing a song. And then you go protest with Antifa. Not to worry, however, because our governor has come up with a plan to fix the problem. He has since March released 10,000 people from the federal prisons with a promise to let go another 8,000. Now, folks, the recidivism rate, the federal recidivism rate, that word just simply means the rate by which previous offenders will offend again and be caught and put back in jail, is 63.8%. Let's just round it up to two-thirds. That means two-thirds of the people that have been released from federal prisons, violent offenders, people that committed rapes, murders, and assaults. Two-thirds of those people statistically repeat the offense again. So Governor Newsom's plan... To fix the problem is to ensure 12,000 more rapes, murders, and assaults because you're worth it, because it's so important for the people of California to be safe. Folks, you couldn't think this stuff up if you tried. If you made a movie out of this stuff, people wouldn't believe it and say it's too far-fetched to give attention to. Now, what's all this about? Well, spiritually, it's about the devil waging war against the church and the family. Against the people of God in every respect. What are we going to do about these things? Well, as I said before, maybe a couple of times now, everybody knows what the devil's ultimate agenda is. And that is a one world order. Now, how is he going to bring that about? We know that he succeeds to a degree with the Antichrist we also know that the power of the church here on the earth just the very presence of the church here on the earth is the very thing that hinders him from being able to put the antichrist in position or reveal who he is in other words the antichrist won't be revealed until the church is gone no need for us to speculate on who it's going to be because the power of the church just being here Is sufficient to keep the devil from doing his biggest work. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Yeah. There are things taking place, not really in secret, just things that aren't reported and focused on. One of those things is the UN operation that's called 2030. Do you know what the UN agenda for 2030 is? It's one world government. There are nations working now at the UN headquarters in New York City to help facilitate one world order. And they have quite an extensive list of things that need to be done To bring that about things that are happening right now like the abolition of police departments and if they succeed in the abolition of of police departments then doing away with the military or putting the military in the hands of the UN is the next step do you remember how President Obama one of the earliest things that he had to respond to or at least had an opportunity to respond to if he would he put American troops for the first time ever not the whole military certainly but a division or whatever classification of troops that he gave to them he put them under the control of the United Nations he got such backlash from it he undid it and walked it back But that was his first instinct. I know we get caught up in the the numbers and the size of the numbers and it can get confusing. Some of those things are easier to look at rather than just to hear about. But there was one thing that caught my attention that helped me put this in perspective. And that was in the month of May the state of Minnesota reported that there were 741 deaths caused by the COVID-19 virus. Of those 741, only 41 deaths were caused or primarily caused because of the virus itself. In fact, you may remember that that was the time when George Floyd died at the hands of the police. He had the COVID-19 virus. So had his death not been publicized to the degree that it was, he would have been listed as being killed by the virus itself. 741 cases attributed to the COVID-19 virus when only 41 were a direct result of it That seems a little conflated to me. But again, these are things that are being done in state after state after state. These are coordinated events, coordinated actions. We heard a lot about Black Lives Matter, still do. But the organization, Black Lives Matter, has by their own admission claim to be a Marxist organization whose ultimate gain, ultimate goal is not just the defunding of police departments but the overflow of America to overthrow this country and the foundations it is built on. Has anybody on the left condemned the Antifa groups Has anybody on the left uttered one syllable of condemnation toward their actions? Would we be safe in saying that Antifa is operating under the influence of the devil? They both have the same goals. Whether they know they're working together or not, they both have the same end goals in mind. hearing the things that the black lives matter organization is supporting and for one of the things is they want the destruction of the nuclear family well they achieve that pretty much in the black community through the welfare state but that's not enough they want to destroy the nuclear family for everybody We're hearing a lot about how we need to reimagine what a world without police forces would look like. Well, why do we have to reimagine that? We can see clearly what that's like. Look at Portland, Oregon. There's no reimagining anything, or it's certainly not necessary to reimagine engineering, reimagine what a country without police would look like. Now, folks, the devil is behind chaos. He doesn't care how and he doesn't care who. He's behind chaos. So, any of these groups, even the groups that are paying for the bricks and the bats and everything to be delivered to the location of the Antifa protests, we have to conclude that they are of the devil. Now, whatever you want to attach of the devil means is up to you. But I used it, I'm looking at the term as being wanting the same thing the devil wants. Well, what does the devil want? He wants lawlessness. How in the world is releasing 18,000 violent offenders from the federal prisons in California, how is that supposed to help anything or anybody? I guess prison lives matter, (laughs) but citizen lives do not. Now, what are all these things designed for? Well, they're certainly designed to create and foster chaos, but even more so, they're to instill fear in the people. See, if the devil can make you afraid enough, he can paralyze you. You know, one thing that that I always found disturbing is the number of people that rail against and fight against President Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again. Do you know why that's such a hot-button issue? Because if America becomes great again, Make America Great Again is all about nationalism. Well, if it's about nationalism, that's contrary to and and, uh, directly opposes the One World Order. So we can't have Make America Great Again. We can't even want America to be like it was before things got so lawless. And that's why we keep hearing from so many sources about the new normal. We have to expect things not to go back the way they were. Because for things to go back the way they were would violate the One World Order Project or Plan identified by the UN 2030 Agenda. Now, there were some interesting things Jesus said. And remember, Jesus talked more about events than Paul did. One of the things Jesus said was to look at the fig tree. He gave him a parable. Now, the fig tree, throughout the Bible, always illustrates and represents Israel. You remember when Jesus in Mark chapter 11. Went by the fig tree and he saw that it was green leaves, which meant it was a sign that it should have fruit, but it didn't have any fruit on it. Jesus cursed the fig tree and uh, and commanded it to dry up from the roots, and it did. That fig tree represented Judaism because Judaism cannot produce the fruitfulness or cannot produce the fruit of righteousness. So it was symbolic. When Jesus cursed the fig tree. He's pronouncing judgment on Judaism. And it was just a couple of days after that. That he was crucified. So Jesus said. And both Matthew, Mark and Luke. Identify this verse. As Jesus talking about the end times. Or the end of time. He said. When you see the fig tree begin to shoot forth know that the time is near. Well, as I said, the fig tree represents Israel. And so we have, from our vantage point, the luxury of turning around and looking back to see that Israel became a nation in 1948. But then Jesus said something else about Jerusalem. And in 1967, you remember there was the six-day war Where Israel miraculously, by the hand of God, regained the city of Jerusalem to be part of the nation state of Israel. Jesus said very specifically that the the people, the generation that saw these things would not pass away before he returned. So then the only question is, how long is a generation I personally believe we have to start counting from 1967 rather than 1948 because even though Israel became a nation state in 1948 there's never been a time where God ever referred to Israel that didn't include Jerusalem so they began to become a state and a nation again in 1948 but it really wasn't completed until 1967 when Jerusalem came back under their their boundaries or borders. Most of the time people refer to a generation as being 40 years. And I have no idea where we get that. There's never been anything said in the Bible about 40 years being a generation. I think it came about as a result of Israel, the children of Israel, wandering around in the wilderness for 40 days, or 40 years rather. I think that's where it comes from. But remember when Moses lamented unto God and this was talked about this happened while they were in the wilderness you remember the reason that God gave for them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years is so that everybody in that generation that was 20 years of age and up would die in the wilderness well Moses was lamenting that people were dying at the age of 70 or if they were particularly strong 80 now the context of that is that when Moses was 40 years old, he killed the Egyptian and had to run for his life. He wound up being in Midian in the backside of the desert. I'm not sure what the backside of the desert is, but it must be a bad place. God spoke to him in the burning bush when he was 80. And so he went and delivered the children of Israel spent that 40 years in the wilderness with them and died at the age of 120. So he's watching young people die. It would perhaps be the equivalent with our lifespans today of what it is. It might be the equivalent of people dying in their 40s. Too young to die. So Moses is lamenting that people are dying in their 70s or if they were particularly strong, made it to 80. I also recall that the captivity of Israel in Babylon was 70 years. It was a generation of people. So if Jesus told us the truth, we have a true record of what Jesus said. And if he told us the truth about the generation that saw Israel become a state and a nation again, not passing away before he returns... Then could that mean that from 1967 through a generation that's that's 70 years long, that would be 2037. Now, as a point of interest, if you take away the seven years of tribulation from that 2037 date, what are you left with? 2030. 2030. Now, is that absolutely true? I have no idea. But judging from the way things are going now, the changes that have been made in the last 10 years to where we are now, if they continue on that same track, and I don't see anything to stop it, do you? I do believe that Trump will be reelected I think the people that support Trump are the ones that are being quiet right now while the left rages and goes on their rampage. So I do believe that Trump will be reelected. But even at that, look what the last three and a half years have been. Another four years, I wouldn't expect to see anything different. There may be an impeachment per week. (laughs) What do these things mean? The one thing Jesus said that stands out to me more than anything else is that, that this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness. And then shall the end come. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9 refer to the glory of God being greater on the church in the last days than in the early days. Now, if you go back and read the book of Acts, which I do regularly, if you go back and read the book of Acts and see the miracles and see the healings and see the great things that are taking place, even in the midst of persecution, it looks like a glorious church then. Well, if the glory of the Latter-day Church is going to be greater than of the former, then folks, we, may, we need to recognize and we need to prepare for some of the greatest miracles and some of the greatest signs and some of the greatest workings of God that have ever been known to mankind. I personally believe the name of Jesus is greater than, than the name of our king, Governor Newsom. I understand he's not the real issue, but he sure is working hard to try to make us think that he is. But it's the devil that's behind him. Turn with me to James chapter 5. We'll close with this. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about people outside the church. Perhaps those that have put their trust in riches. Your riches are corrupted. Your your garments are moth eaten Riches being corrupted mean, means they're not in use. Garments being moth-eaten means they're not worn. It may be a reference to an abundance that James is writing to concerning, or by the direction of the Holy Ghost. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Again, it's hoarding wealth rather than circulating it. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped t- treasure together for the last days. Certainly it's talking about people that have gathered to themselves wealth and tried to hoard wealth rather than using it in a productive manner or certainly even a godly manner. Behold, the hire of the laborers which have reaped down your fields, of which you kept back by fraud, crieth, And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, it seems to be talking about people of the world not being fair in the things that they have um, used other people's labor and strength to produce. You have lived in pleasure on the earth. And have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just. And he does not resist you. It's talking about mistreatment of somebody. Verse 7. Be patient therefore brethren. Under the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And has long patience for it. Until he rece- received the early and the latter rain. It's saying that Jesus, who is the husband, husbandman, is waiting before he comes back to the earth. He's waiting before he comes back to the church. Well, what's he waiting for? He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. Now, what is that if it's not people being born into the kingdom of God? What other precious fruit of the earth could there be? God's never been interested in anything except people. He doesn't need the earth. He already has that. It belongs to him. Satan is like a leaseholder whose lease is running out. But what would God be interested in or care about if not people? So the precious fruit of the earth has to be people that are being won, won into the kingdom of God. Behold, the husbandman waiteth. He's waiting for this harvest of people to come into his family. And it says he has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. The early and the latter rain were talked about consistently, continually in the Old Testament as being necessary to produce fruit on the earth. The early rain sets the seed, the latter rain ripens the fruit. So it says he has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. Folks, that has to be a moving of the Holy Ghost that brings in this last day harvest. Jesus is waiting for the church to become glorious again. He's waiting for the glory of the latter day church, the latter house of God, to outstrip the early house of God that we have record of in the book of Acts. And that's the only thing left to wait for. There is not one other prophecy that must be fulfilled before Jesus returns. And, and I got to tell you, folks, it may be that we're looking at and expecting the wrong thing as far as the early and the latter reign is concerned. We have a tendency, I certainly do, but we have a tendency to look at things only from our own perspective. For example, to look at the things that are taking place in America and judge or determine that that's not as glorious as God says the church will be. But if we could pull back and look at the whole earth and the way that the earth is responding to the the gospel of Jesus, we might see that the glory is greater than the early day church, just not where we are. I say that not from a point of determination, but as a possibility. Last thing I want to be caught doing is looking for something that's already here. Because if I'm looking for something that's already here, then that means I'm not getting full use out of what's, be, what's really going on. So I take these verses with a grain of salt. Now don't misunderstand me. I have made very clear to the Lord what I expect. I have dictated terms to him, <laughs> as if you could. But I want the glory of the American church to be greater than it is now. Amen. Don't you? Yes. Yes, Lord. Well, if we want that, how much more does God want that? Yes. So you'll have to forgive me for qualifying some of the statements that I'm making. Because I'm looking for a big, 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 big outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So our job is twofold. First of all, to pray. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, the latter rain he's talking about is referred to right here in James 5, 7. A moving of the Holy Ghost. But then the second work. The first work is to pray for the rain the second word is just as important and that is not be paralyzed by fear in other words take heed to ourselves that we be not deceived folks it's pretty much a given as far as I'm concerned in these last days that anybody that's telling us anything is lying to us with the only exception being the word of God I don't trust government anymore. Now there are some in government that I do trust. And I got to tell you, I trust President Trump. I believe with all my heart that he's doing the best that he knows to do to return America to its religious foundations. And he doesn't seem to be having a lot of help. But I'm skeptical skeptical about everything. I don't believe what they're telling me about the coronavirus. I don't believe what they're telling us about the fix for it. I haven't made wearing a mask a matter of principle. In other words, I wear one where I have to. But folks, to think that wearing a mask is going to stop something on the molecular level like a virus is like building a chain link fence to keep out mosquitoes. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely the truth. There's a spirit of fear that's operating in this world. And the only antidote for fear is knowledge. Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. If the church, just the presence of the church, the disorganized church, the argumentative church, the church that can't agree on doctrine concerning healing and the Holy Ghost and such, If the presence of that church on the earth keeps the devil from doing what he's been working toward for thousands of years, then what could that church do if we got together and prayed? I believe these are times of prayer. I believe these are times to be strong. Let's pray. Father, you said that the glory of the latter-day church would be greater than of the former. You said that in this place you would give peace. When the rest of the world is in turmoil, operating by fear, we choose to operate in the peace of God. so you told us to pray ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain you said if we do that you'd make bright clouds a manifestation of your power and a demonstration of your presence you said that you would give us showers of rain which have to correspond with the manifestations of the Holy Ghost manifestations of revelation manifestations of utterance and manifestations of power you said Lord that it would bring about the precious fruit of the earth so we ask you for the rain send the rain Lord send the rain not according to our will you know our desires to be used of you but send the rain according to your plan and your purpose open our eyes to see who we are and see what is the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers send the rain Lord send the rain you said in the Old Testament to your people Israel that if they would humble themselves and pray that you would heal their land Lord, we're humbling ourselves to you and we're praying. So we ask that you would heal our land. We know what must come. We know where we are and how close we are to the end. So Lord, we pray that your power would be manifest in your church. In such a degree, in such a measure that no one would be able to resist it. We pray for notable miracles, Lord. Even as the crippled was healed in Acts chapter 3, his healing was manifest to everybody and nobody could speak against it. We pray for those kind of notable miracles. Lord, we commit to you that we will not fear because you are with us we will not be dismayed for you are our God you strengthen us you help us and you uphold us with your right hand of righteousness now Holy Spirit we need your help to pray because we don't know how to pray in this regard as we ought to know We're still limited by our flesh. So we trust you to give us utterance in the Spirit of God that we might pray the perfect will of the Father.